Check it out. Welcome everyone, my name is Lee, and in this episode, I'll be talking with John Didlick, Executive Officer at Hepatitis ACT about, you guessed it, hepatitis. What is it and why should we care about it? Check it out. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle and community news. Check it out. Is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone. John Didlick, welcome. Thank you, Lee. What is the liver? What does it do? Why should I take care of it? Uh, Because it takes care of you. So without sounding too glib, the liver does uh, 500 things apparently. Don't ask me to name them. But it's a really important organ. It's the largest internal organ. It's pretty fabulous in a lot of ways. It helps us do the fundamentals of, you know, organic existence. It drives our immune system. It helps us to digest and uh, process nutrition and it helps to filter toxins and bad guys from our blood which is why it gets into a little bit of trouble sometimes because um, humans like to ingest toxins sometimes. The liver does does many things and you can't live without it. You could live without half of it but you couldn't live without it and if you were living with half of it the other half would grow back. I've heard that. And it's it's really resilient as well. You know, our Western lifestyle is to just cane it. You know, we treat it awfully, and yet um, it very rarely complains. And this is the downside of the way the liver works, is that um, it, it very rarely complains in an audible way until things are really dire. So people can be terminally ill and experiencing no symptoms of liver disease. So you're telling me it doesn't have any pain receptors or something? Well, we know that it has some um, because of the... um, Because something minute goes wrong with your heart and you bloody well know about it. You're going to know about it, yeah. Yeah, the the liver can be getting profoundly unwell um, without uh, apparent symptoms. Okay. Check it out. What is hepatitis? Hepatitis is lots of things. When we think about hepatitis as a community, uh, I think we're talking about a viral infection. And for the purposes of this podcast, that's mostly what we're going to be talking about. But the, a great place to start is, is that question because what hepatitis actually is is inflammation of the liver. Right. And inflammation of the liver can be caused uh, by a number of things, including viral infection. Right, and mm. is there a particular trigger to that viral infection that swelling of the liver is it a particular cause can we pin it down to with viral infections yes we can and the particular causes there's five of them and they are the families of viruses which includes strains or genotypes multiple strains or genotypes but um, they are the family of viruses known as hepatitis a b c d and e wow so there's five of them there is okay next question how do i know if i have hepatitis Mm. Um, it depends you may not i may not you may not know Uh, a lot of people actually on the planet with viral hepatitis don't know that they have it they may suspect Uh, They may know that, for example, liver disease runs in their family, Mm -hmm. uh, but their access to 
to testing, diagnosis and care is is poor, particularly in, you know, some developing countries. So they'll, they'll have no way to know. Right. Hmm. So left untreated, now I'm asking the most basic questions because, quite frankly, I'm educating myself as well as people that are listening to this podcast. Can you die from hepatitis? Yes. And how frequently does that happen? Uh, very often. Yeah, hepatitis B and C are the biggest of the issues globally and nationally. To put that in perspective nationally, there's about a 1,000 people, uh, upwards of a 1,000 people, uh, who die from hepatitis B and C every year in Australia. Wow. Yes, and, and increasing. And a lot of good work has been done in HIV um, since those days, mm-hmm. you know, when mortality was at its highest. Um, but the numbers are uh, comparable now with viral hepatitis, yeah. Check it out. So when you say there are five different types, you've got uh, hepatitis A, yep. you've got hepatitis B, C, what were the other? D and E. D and E, yeah. yeah. It, what, are there fundamental differences in terms of the severity of that virus or the, how it presents itself? Yeah, they they are they're different diseases. The place to start is to understand them as as different diseases. Okay, you know, um, but because they all affect the liver, mm-hmm. um, then we term them hepatitis something. Yeah, you know, but there there's some similarities, uh, particularly in terms of liver disease and the implications of liver disease. And there's a whole bunch of differences too about how they're transmitted and who they affect. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the parts of the the world, the regions in which they affect. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you an example. Hepatitis C is, is an interesting case. It's It affects about 71 million humans. And so comparing it with hepatitis B, it's it's a much smaller epidemic. So hepatitis C is a smaller epidemic than hepatitis B. Correct. So 71 million people are currently affected by hepatitis C. Yep. 250 million with B. Oh, right. Yeah. That's almost the population of the USA. It's a massive epidemic. It's just enormous. And you gave me a really interesting snippet about hepatitis B. You called it something which is really interesting. What did you call it? I called it the Cinderella virus, although I, I, I must add that's not, that's not independent thinking. You know, that was somebody else's work. It, it does get called the Cinderella virus because... It's kind of overlooked. Right. A bit like poor old Cinderella. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you also said something about with hepatitis B, you're less likely to be aware that you have it. Is that right? Uh, If you're a human with hepatitis B, uh, you're, you know, speaking globally, you're very unlikely to know you have it. Wow. Yeah. 250 million people. 250 million. And what percentage of that 250 million people do you think don't know that they have it? I don't know the answer to that question. I should know. I think less, it's fewer than 1% are being treated. I'd say it's high 90s percent of people are undiagnosed. And what's the main, we're hovering around hepatitis B because Mm. I'm, I'm a little bit shocked at those figures. What's the main cause of hepatitis B transmission then? Hepatitis B is a bloodborne virus, mm-hmm. so it can be transmitted in, in the, the same sort of ways that hepatitis C can. So, for example, people who inject drugs are at high risk of mm-hmm. hepatitis B, but hepatitis B is also 
very easily acquired sexually mm-hmm. and very easily transmitted from mother to child during birth if the pregnancy and the birth aren't carefully managed. Okay. So sadly, with hepatitis B, when children are exposed, when babies in particular are exposed to hepatitis B, the majority of the time they will develop a lifelong infection. So they will become chronically affected. If somebody like me at my age contracted hepatitis B tomorrow, very high likelihood, around 95%, I would get acutely unwell. And what, would, what, me, what are the symptoms of being unwell, that unwell? Well, with an adult, there are symptoms of acute infection. Mm. With kids, there's mostly not. Right. So they won't know. But an adult might be, they might be jaundiced. Okay. You know, so they might notice a change in colour of skin and uh, the whites of their eyes. Mm-hmm. They might have abdominal discomfort associated with swelling of the liver. They might feel nauseous. Most people who contract hepatitis B are going to know something's wrong. Right. And if they have access to a doctor, they, mm. they will go to the doctor or they might go to the doctor. And the doctor will say, you've got hepatitis B, go home, rest, mm-hmm. drink plenty of fluids, stay away from people, you know, here's a sort of a window in which you're, you know, likely to uh, be infectious. And 95% of adults will recover perfectly uh, well with hepatitis B. They will develop antibodies and therefore remain immune to future infection. Uh, so there's a lot of people, speaking globally, there's a lot of people with hepatitis B antibodies because they were exposed at some point in right. their life. And with adults, that can be sexually, often is uh, exposed sexually. With kids, they've got it from their mum because mm-hmm. their mum's got hepatitis B. And so you can look at hepatitis B as, as an epidemic in which there is an acute course and a chronic course. And hepatitis B can be a very serious acute condition but mostly not. So when we understand the hepatitis B epidemic and we say these are the the deaths associated, this is the burden of disease and mortality associated with hepatitis B, we're talking about people who have a lifelong infection. Okay. And and for those people, hepatitis B acts against their health and well-being over time. Right. Depending on some genetic characteristics and also some lifestyle characteristics, how long that might take from uh, the point of infection to really serious liver disease uh, can differ. You know, there are some kind of rules of thumb here, if you like, you know. We understand that women who are from an Asian background with chronic hepatitis B all their life are at elevated risk of liver cancer from the age of 50. Asian men from the age of 40, some Africans from the age of 20. And that's, you know, serious liver disease includes mm. liver cancer, okay, liver failure. Yeah. 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 So in terms of all these five types of hepatitis, are they all curable? No. So which, which of those five are not curable? Right. So, um, so hepatitis B, let's keep talking about hepatitis B. Okay. Hepatitis B, if it has an, an acute course, it will be resolved naturally. If it has a chronic course, there is no cure. But there is treatment. So in the same kind of way that HIV is currently not curable, but it is treatable to prevent serious implications, so too is hepatitis B. So you can get to that undetectable stage. Is that what you're saying? Oh, that's a really good question. I, I don't know the answer. That's my scientific response. I know that treatment for hepatitis B works towards the same 
outcomes that successful HIV treatment does in that it's viral suppression. Okay. Is it undetectable? I don't hear people talking about hepatitis B in those terms. Okay. But, you know, reducing the viral load and limiting the body's immune response will curtail the extent of liver disease. So people don't tend to develop serious liver disease and, you know, potentially morbid outcomes from a lifelong infection. Check it out. So let's move on to hepatitis C. And I think what I said about hepatitis C and B was that they were very similar in, in a lot of ways and yet different diseases. And hepatitis C is less prevalent than hepatitis B, Uh, has a lower burden of disease and mortality globally, but has had a higher burden of disease and mortality nationally. So what hepatitis C looks like in Australia and what hepatitis C looks like in sub-Saharan Africa are completely different. So hepatitis C is generally associated in developed countries, in affluent Western countries, with injecting drug use. So it's very much a if I can term it as a a lifestyle disease. Um, It it relates to injecting drug use. But in other countries, I'm not sure how much injecting drug use is going on in the Sudan. You know, it's probably not nil, but they probably don't have a medically supervised injecting centre like we have in the cross. Right. You know, so the hepatitis C transmission that's happening in those countries is often associated with unsterile health services, you know, the reuse of equipment, dental equipment or uh, surgical equipment or needles and syringes used for vaccination, that kind of thing. And also in mother-to-child transmission <laughs> and unsafe blood products. So in, in developing countries, hepatitis C is not generally transmitted in the same way as the hepatitis C is in Australia, although there is some overlap. <laughs> yeah, so they, they look like quite different epidemics Mm -hmm. um the way that uh, somebody coming from a public health perspective might say how do we resolve this problem nationally would be very different Mm. than how you would resolve the problem nationally in australia yeah right yeah fascinating stuff my next question is we can relate this to canberra which is where we are right now Mm -hmm. or we can relate this to your own backyard so to speak why should i care about hepatitis I live a fairly ordinary sort of life. I'm not yep. really going to find myself in a situation where I'm at a high risk of transmission. Why should I care about it? It's a good question. We care about viral hepatitis because it affects our community. And if you're average Joe in the burbs with the picket fence and the dog and the whatever, the mortgage, you poor bugger, then maybe viral hepatitis is not something that you see affecting your life in any way. Maybe you don't associate the risk factors to yourself Um, maybe you don't know somebody who said yeah lee i've got hepatitis c you know the doctor told me i've got hepatitis b can you believe that oh what does that mean for you people don't tend to have those conversations with their neighbors and whatnot but if if two percent of the population and that's about right two percent of the population is living with hepatitis b and hepatitis c you might be average joe in the burbs but you know people yeah. with hepatitis Even if B you don't know that C. you know those people. Even if you don't know that you know, that's exactly right. You know people. And that might be enough for you to care. And if you, depending on your perspective, knowing that there are people, whether you know them or not, might be enough for you to care. Yeah. Or you might look at 
you know, health investment? Well, how much does hepatitis B and C cost us as a community? Is it worth doing something about? Yeah, it's worth mm. doing something about. You know, the investment that we make in prevention and the investment that we make in treatment save us money over time. For me, I know a lot of people living with viral hepatitis in one form or another. And I know a lot of people from at-risk groups. And I've worked in uh, this kind of field for some years now. So I'm professionally invested. You know, I'm personally invested. Mm. I'm very conscious of the the burden of the health uh, health infrastructure and systems on our on our budget nationally and locally. So I care about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I actually I, I come at caring about hepatitis B and C from lots of different angles. Yeah, yeah, but it's a really good question because when you brought up before that two percent of the population is living with either hepatitis B or hepatitis C, mm. that is more than there are redheads. Oh, really? Yeah, well, redheads are about 1.2, 1.4. Right. And so if you think about it in that context, and from an LGBTIQ point of view, when we talk about intersex populations, yeah. that is, at, I think, about 1.2, 1.4. Right. And we always refer to it as that's the same number as there are redheads wow. in society. So if you if you equate that with people living with hepatitis C or hepatitis B, it's actually more than yeah. there are redheads. Yeah. Can I use that at Absolutely. some point? Is that okay? Yeah. That's great. Check it out. Here in Canberra hmm. or in the Australian landscape, yeah. who are those people that are most at risk of contracting hepatitis Hepatitis ACT, which is the service I'm from, we're funded to do hepatitis B and C work. Mm -hmm. And so professionally, that's our remit. Mm -hmm. Hepatitis B and C are the big epidemics out of this family of of diseases. Hepatitis A is, although it can be serious for some people, sometimes fatal, but very rarely. The media love the Nana's Berries story, that kind of stuff. Oh, you know, okay. Let's beat up frozen That's berries. That's hepatitis A. That's hepatitis A. The frozen berry That's thing. That's right. All right. But we're generally not as concerned about A as we are about B and C. And D and E in Australia are barely on our radar. So who's at risk? Was that the question? Who's yeah. at risk? So who's at risk? Human beings. Okay. That's the first thing yeah. I'd say. We're talking about something that's profoundly human. One in 12 human beings okay. living with chronic hepatitis B or hepatitis C. That's a lot of people. So it is something that affects you if you're from this planet. Mm. Hepatitis B affects 240, 250,000 Australians. Uh, 38% are undiagnosed. So that's about 1,500 Canberrans, 90,000 Australians. Average Joe, average Joe's kids are probably vaccinated. You know, We have a universal vaccination program in Australia and kids are just routinely vaccinated for hepatitis for B. hepatitis B first shot you know in the day or days following their birth and mums are tested during right. pregnancy the national target is 95% and in the ACT we lead the country in that and we're just under 94% or something so we're a hair's breadth away from meeting that target. So childhood vaccination is not a big issue. However, not everyone was born in Australia. Not everyone who lives in Australia was born in Australia. Right. And not everyone who lives in Australia and was born in Australia was born in an area with good access to healthcare. 
So hepatitis B has a, an increased prevalence in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australia, uh, particularly rural and remote. And a lot of the epidemic is contained within multicultural Australia because people have been born in an endemic region Mm -hmm. and then have travelled to Australia later in life with chronic hepatitis B infection. Okay. So there's there's most of our hepatitis B problem right there. There's lots of reasons why we have such a large number of undiagnosed people with hepatitis B. Right. There's lots of reasons. And it could be about stigma and discrimination. It could be about cultural or family beliefs about liver disease, how it affects our community and what you're better off knowing and what you're not. You know, I read a study on hepatitis B uh, that was conducted in Queensland a few years ago. And and one of the things that strikes me from uh, from the feedback from affected communities was you some people believe you're better off not to know. Because once you put it out there, you become a citizen of hepatitis. It becomes part of your history. Yeah. And it's, you know, some of that's about well, what does this mean? Self-concept, maybe self-esteem. How does this change the way that I see myself? But a lot of the fear around stigma, I think, is about how does this change me in the eyes of other people? Absolutely. You know, and, yeah. I, and I think that's what, that's what people fear the most. Yeah. And there yeah. is obviously still or always has been... A, a good deal of stigma around hepatitis because it's people think it's something dirty. So that's exactly right. A lot of people don't know the difference and therefore chuck it under the one heading. You know, we're talking about hepatitis. That's poo, isn't it? Mm. I'm pretty sure at school when a bunch of kids got hepatitis A, it was because of, you know, poor personal hygiene yeah. or something. Yeah, that's probably true. It's the frozen berries that they ordered yeah. in for the canteen. That's right. That's right. But there's also that association between hepatitis C and injecting. Um, that that covers a in my view that is responsible for a lot of stigma and discrimination as well. Check it out. Let's talk about injecting drug users. Yeah. What do you say to people whose comments might include they shouldn't be doing drugs in the first place? It's their own fault. Hmm. Yeah. The way that I approach injecting drug use, the way that the, we at Hepatitis ACT approach injecting drug use is to accept from the get-go that it happens. Yep. There's no point trying to establish a, a philosophy or a set of programs and policies coming from the counterfactual that if we get enough things right, then people won't inject drugs. Well, actually, I'm not going to hold my breath and wait for that to happen. This is not um, constrained to hepatitis B and C. You know, we're sitting in the AIDS Council now. You know, the people around us know this as well. Yeah. With highly stigmatised conditions comes Mm. a degree of discrimination that average Joe, who lives around the corner, just couldn't conceive Mm. of. And so services like ours find ourselves in the position where we're swimming upstream a lot. That's around community sentiment and support. Mm. Um, It's also about access to funding and the extent of priority that's placed on um, various conditions. Don't mind a metaphor occasionally. 
it's much easier to raise money for koala bears than it is for the eastern brown snake. You know, yeah. no, that road can't go through there because we've got koala bears is going to get you a hell of a lot more traction in the minister's office mm. than we're worried about a, a, a variety of potentially deadly eastern brown snake. No one's raising money for that in Westfield, mm. you know. Yeah. But if the koala comes and gives you a hug, you'd probably give it two bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out. All right, so in a nutshell, if you could, what do you love about your job the most? I don't mind the fight. Um, you have a formidable presence. I mean, John Diglick is how tall are you, John? You're about six foot four or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, you know, if you say you're up for a fight, I reckon you'd be a pretty formidable character to come up against when it comes to arguing your point. And that must feel empowering or, yeah. you know, does it? Oh, and you speak the speak, you have the ability to speak to all people, from the suits right down to the young kids mm. using your NSPs at, at your office. Mm. It's that ability to communicate with everyone, which is important. That's very generous, and thank you. Um, that is one of the things that I like about my job, mm. that, you know, that, I, that my key stakeholders mm-hmm. are many and varied. Yeah. Yeah, and I do like that. And... And when I say I'm up for the fight, um, in many ways I mean intellectually. The issues that I that I deal with in, in my professional capacity, I go straight at it. I think if I was on the other side of uh, my advocacy pursuits, um, what I would find most confronting about me is my data. And I come from a place of social justice, fairness, equity, that kind of thing. And I take my role seriously in that my organisation represents the interests of people affected by hepatitis B and C, whether they know it or not, whether they want to identify publicly or not, whether they think they're worthy or not. Mm. um, That's my role. It's the job of hepatitis ACT to represent their interests and uh, and, and we'll do that. And we don't shy away from that. I'm, that's the fight that I'm up for. Check it out. If you had all the money, yeah. if you had all the ears, yeah. if you had all the support, what would you do in order to reduce, nay, eliminate hepatitis? Yeah. In a nutshell, John. Prevent, test, treat. Yep. That's what I'd do. Prevent, test, treat. John Diglick, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Leigh. I enjoyed it. My thanks to John Diglick from Hepatitis ACT. My name is Lee. Until next time, check it out. For more information, visit our website at aidsaction.org.au. Follow us on Facebook or become an AIDS Action Council member. You know you want to. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle and community news. Check it out. Is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone.